0: Thank you, Brother Neil. Good morning. morning. Um, I'd like to try this morning to finish up, um, I guess you could say, a series of uh, topics that I've been preaching on for the last several months uh, when I had the opportunity to preach here, uh, and that is the topics of um, how different things in the Bible save us, different acts in the Bible save us. Uh, We talked about how in eternity, uh, it is only grace that saves us, Right? And uh, then we talked about if if grace is the only thing that saves us from our sins in eternity, the Bible does speak to uh, confession saving us, and we talked about exactly how that saves us. We've talked about repentance and how that actually saves us, which both repentance and confession are things that save us in this life, right? And the last thing that I wanted to talk about today uh, that you may hear uh, out in the the denominational world uh, people, there will be some groups that will tell you that baptism uh, is something that saves you uh, from your sins in eternity. And if you understand the first sermon that I preached, that grace is the only thing that does that, then it begs the question, if grace saves us in eternity, but the Bible does say in 1 Peter, it says uh, where baptism also doth now save us. Well, it does beg the question, well, what in the world does that save us from, Right. And so uh, I'd like to finish this today, but I may have to break it up into, into two sermons. So I'll get, if I'm talking too fast, just raise your hand. I'll try to slow down. But I want you to think about just the, the ordinance that we call baptism. And if you didn't know much about the church and if you didn't, uh, you know, if you just popped up out of the ground and all of a sudden were walking around on this earth, baptism is something that you might find uh, to be what you might consider a strange undertaking That we as christians do right if you just walked up and said uh you know hey i don't know anything about the church i don't know anything about anything and you you begin to sit and listen to preaching and at some point uh usually throughout the year you will find us take uh, the the baptistry back here and we will fill it up with water and then we will take a person that comes down and uh you know professes their love for the lord and their need for uh for his grace and that we will take them and Brother Tim will take them into this baptistry, full of water, and he will take them and he will uh, immerse them in the water, and then he will bring them back up. And if you didn't know anything about that, you would say, "Well, that's weird, right?" And I admit that. If I knew nothing about it, I'd say that is a weird, uh, 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 some sort of a ritual. That's not a ritual. Understand me. I'm saying it from the point of view. If I didn't know anything, I would think that would be odd, right? Yeah. But it's something that the Lord commanded us to do, right? And so, and the Bible tells us that there is a salvation by going through the process and the ordinance of baptism. The word baptism comes from the word baptizo, which means to immerse or submerge. And, and it even says, like a sunken vessel. Now, you will hear many bit different people, maybe another sermon for another day, talk about the method of baptism, right? But the Bible is very clear. The very definition of the word means to be immersed or submerged in water. Uh, If you think about a sunken vessel, how many of you think about a vessel floating on the water with rain just kind of sprinkling down on it? Nobody. You think of a vessel at the very bottom of a deep, dark ocean, lake, or river, right? It's a it's a immersing of a body and bringing it back up out of the water. Now, uh, that's the biblical way to baptize. Now, I think it's important if we're going to talk about how baptism saves you. I want to spend just a few minutes on what baptism does not do. I want to prove to you through the Scriptures because you may find yourself in a conversation one day with someone who believes that baptism is, uh, is what is required, that ordinance is what is required to have your sins washed away. And we need to be we need to have an understanding of that because what's going to happen is somebody's going to come up to you one day in conversation, and they're probably going to go to Acts, the second chapter, in verse 38 to try to prove to you that baptism is what washes away your sins right and if you have not been baptized uh it doesn't matter how much confession you've done how much repentance you've done how much good works you've done if you haven't gone through the process of baptism you will not be saved from uh uh, the condemnation of hell right and where they're going to go for that is acts the second chapter in verse 38 I'll read in verse 37 here. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? All right, these are men who have heard the gospel preached to them. Uh, They have been pricked in their hearts. They have been moved by the gospel. And don't forget, I mean, there's a thousand different ways to prove this. But don't forget, the Bible tells us that the preaching of the cross is powerful to those who are saved. Well, here are some people that the gospel is powerful to. Right? And that tells me something about their eternal condition. And then they say to Peter, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Now look, I could probably, I believe that I am persuasive enough that I could take people maybe that weren't very well versed in the the Bible, and I could take people and I could teach them and persuade them based on that verse that you will not be forgiven of your sins unless you have been baptized because the Bible says repent, be baptized for the remission of sins, right? And that would be logical. That, that would make sense to somebody. But it is a dangerous, dangerous thing to make your entire belief system off a handful of verses. You need to have your doctrine and your theology and your belief system based on the whole counsel of God, which requires some study, right? You can't just casually flip through this Bible, listen to the guy hand you five or ten verses, and just say, well, that's what I'm going to believe. Look at the full counsel of God, and here's why. If you flip over to Mark, the first chapter, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. I was glad Brother Neil, as he prayed, he mentioned the leper. In his prayer, Mark, the first chapter, in verse 40, and it says, and there came a leper to him this is a leper coming to Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. You got the picture? And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was clean, right? He was cleansed. So we have the first thing happening is the Lord touching this person. The second thing that happens is immediately upon that touch, this person is clean. And then he he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but here we go. But go thy way, show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Do you notice that? He touches him. He's immediately cleansed, and he says, now go offer for thy cleansing. Go do something for your cleansing. Did he send him to go do this thing in order for him to be cleansed? If we believe that, then we don't believe the Bible because the Bible says he was immediately cleansed. Here you have a cleansed person, yet he is receiving instruction to go do something because of that cleansing. He says, you've been cleansed now. He says, go, show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing. All right, let's, let's substitute that word for. Go show thyself to the priest because of your cleansing. Right? right. And we know that's true because he's already been cleansed. Amen. Now, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Does that for there mean in order to get? Or does that for mean because of? Right? Repent and be baptized in order to get remission of sins is what many people preach. But I submit to you today that what that means is repent and be baptized because of the remission of sins. It would be foolish to go to the doctor and the doctor tell you and hand you a big uh, bottle of antibiotics and says... I want you to take these antibiotics in order to get strep throat. If he walked up and said, here's a bottle of antibiotics, take that antibiotics for the strep throat. He's not saying take these in order to get strep throat. He says take these because you have strep throat. Right? right. Now, let's further prove this. Acts the 10th chapter. You all are probably very familiar with Acts, the 10th chapter. In Acts, the 10th chapter, we have where Peter and Cornelius meet up. Peter preaches to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. Peter makes the conclusion that the Lord has already been here. He's not a leper, but understand the metaphor here that the Lord has already touched this leper. The Lord has already done some cleansing because Peter even says, uh, the Lord tells Peter, what God hath cleansed, call, do not call unclean. Right. If, if, if Cornelius here, in a sense, was the leper, the Lord has already cleansed him. Amen. And Peter acknowledges that. And he says that I uh, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Peter is as clear as crystal that God has been here and God has cleansed before the gospel's ever gotten here, before the baptism has ever gotten here, right? So he preaches to him and he preaches to all his friends and it says, while Peter spake the words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word and they of the circus circumcision which believed were astonished and as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now here's here's what I want you to get. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? You see what Peter says? These people have been touched by the Lord. These people have been cleansed. These people are showing the fruit of the Spirit. These people have received the Holy Ghost. Does anybody in their right mind think that these people are hell bound according to Peter's testimony? He says, look, with all these evidences, why in the world should we not baptize them? Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have been showing the fruits of the spirit, which have been professing the Lord, which have been doing all these wonderful, mighty works, which have received the Holy Ghost? who have been cleansed by the hand of the Lord, what's next? Baptism. Right? Now, let's go to what baptism does do. That is a very, very small portion of the proof that the Scriptures give us that baptism does not save you from your sins in eternity. But now, the Bible tells us that it does save us. So what does it save us from? Flip over to First Peter for a second and third chapter. First Peter the third chapter. Um, I'll, I'll read in verse 20. which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. I'm so glad they put this parenthesis in there. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. All right, how much clearer does that have to be? Peter is writing here and he is saying this, this deal, this baptism, this, this thing that some may find odd, this is not an act that puts away the filth of your flesh. This is an act that gives you a good conscience towards God. Now, let me liken it towards this. <clears throat> when I got married um tiffany and i exchanged rings right wedding rings probably a lot of you have wedding rings on this is a testimony that she and i are married right now if i were the ty- and listen i know some some people don't wear red- wedding rings some people probably don't need to while they work i know that at times they can be dangerous but listen for me it's not if as soon as I kissed Tiffany goodbye in the morning and I got in my truck and I took this ring off and I shoved it in my pocket and I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to see this testimony that she and I are married. If I was in my right mind, I would feel a little guilty about that. Right? I, not in a sinful way, but I proudly wear it. Right? I want people to see it. I want people to know it. I want people to look at my hand and ask me about her. It is a public display that clears my conscience because I'm not ashamed of what I have. Are you with me? Yes. That's baptism. Are you with me? I can remember, I can remember a very quick story. Um as I was growing up, I learned the value of this. You know where I learned the value of that? I learned it from my dad. Because I remember one time we were getting ready for a baseball game and all of a sudden there's a little bit of panic across the face of a man who doesn't panic because he can't find his wedding ring. I had it. I know I had it during warm-ups. I cannot find my wedding ring. And it upset him. Fortunately, We finally realized that the wedding ring came off in the catcher's mitt when he took the catcher's mitt off and he found it. Years later, years later, he lost it again. And he was a sad man. He was sad because it meant something to him. It represented something that he cherished. And it was lost for a good while. And we went through great lengths to find it. And one day... I was walking in the woods miles and miles from our house in a place that we hunt. And I looked down and I see the tiniest little gold speck sticking up out of the mud. Just, I mean, just enough to think, to catch my eye. And as I dug down in there, guess what it was? That wedding ring. And brothers and sisters, when I cleaned it up, and I remember I was old enough that, that I think I was married. We had a cell phone. I could not get cell service, and I tried a thousand times to call him because I was so excited. So I I rushed rushed back to his house, and we're sitting there talking. We're sitting in their kitchen at the time, and I remember I took it out of my pocket, and I just laid it on the bar. And the look on his face, because his public display of his love for my mother was returned. Let me ask you this. During that time it was lost, was he any less married? No. no. But the testimony of it was missing right. and it bothered him. Are you with me? Amen. In Matthew the 8th chapter, it's another example, another, um, not example, uh, um, another account of the leper Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way and show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. This leper that had been cleansed and touched by Jesus was going to the priest not in order to get cleansing, because of his cleansing. And he was doing it for a public testimony of what the Lord had already done. All right? Now, I want to. We started late, so give me a few more minutes. Give Brother Tim a few more minutes. <clears throat> Who's a candidate for this? This ordinance that we call baptism, this ordinance that some may find strange, who is a candidate for it? In Acts, the eighth chapter. You find a a great, uh, a great teaching on baptism, the importance of baptism. And it's about a man named Philip, who's an evangelist and a man uh, who is a eunuch. Right. And when the eunuch and I'll get back to this guy in just a minute and the eunuch, I tell you what, let me just read it for the sake of time here. In Acts the 8, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south from the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is a desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, which is Isaiah, the prophet, I love this next verse. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this this chariot. All right. If the Lord had not have burdened Philip for that, Philip probably would have thought, hey, look, a eunuch in a chariot reading something. But when God impressed on him to go join him, there's a, a future sermon on evangelism. Okay. Don't ever overlook those small unctions of the Spirit of God, because it turns just a eunuch in a chariot to a wonderful, powerful opportunity. Amen. Okay. Then the Spirit sent Philip go near, and join thyself to his chariot, and Philip wasn't like, eh, I don't know. Philip ran. He was eager for these opportunities. He ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, "Understand us now what thou readest." Now listen. He goes on and he preaches to uh, the eunuch. Because the eunuch says, unless you explain this to me, how am I going to understand it? Okay? That's why God gave us preachers, right? And Philip preaches to this evangelist. And somewhere, even though it doesn't tell us this, somewhere in this exchange between Philip and this Ethiopian, somewhere Philip preached on baptism. He had to have. Because the eunuch says... As they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And if you don't think I'm going to close with that, you're crazy. What doth hinder me to be baptized? That word hinder means to prevent. What obstacle is there? And this is what Philip says to him. And Philip said, If thou, can, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, hold the phone. Let me flip over here for one second. Philip is preaching to this eunuch. And Philip tells him, you're a qualified candidate for baptism if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's the only qualification he put on it. 1 John 5, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Is this man born again or not? Based on the scriptures, whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God way before he was baptized. Well, not way before, but before he was baptized. Something that you will see, and this is, I want to spend just a, a minute or two here. Something that you will see in the Primitive Baptist Church is you will find us from time to time rebaptizing somebody. What do you mean by rebaptizing? I don't mean that somebody comes down here, professes their faith, we baptize them, they go off and live sinfully, they come back, and then we rebaptize. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about baptizing people into the the belief of the Primitive Baptist Church. Baptizing those people who previously have been baptized, but have been baptized into another belief. And that's biblical. Okay? We don't just make that up as a way to say we win, or I told you so. It's biblical. Where is it biblical? It's biblical in Acts, the 19th chapter. Now... Let me start in Acts, the 18th chapter. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Listen, knowing only the baptism of John. okay, the baptism that John the Baptist came on the scene baptizing people with. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla, which I love their backbone, by the way, had heard, they took unto him and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. That took some courage. All right, this eloquent man standing up and preaching, but he's not preaching it quite right. He's got some things off. And these people, Aquila and Priscilla, say that I'm going to take the courage to teach him a little better. Right? They teach him a little better and they expound the way of God more perfectly. And it goes on and says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And this is what he says He said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. And it says when they heard this, this group of people who have already been baptized, but they were baptized with incorrect knowledge, if you would. They were baptized, not incorrect knowledge. They were baptized with a lack of understanding. That's a better way to say that. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see that? A group of people who loved the Lord, were sincere, devoted, and followed the Lord, but they lacked some understanding. And when they got that understanding, they were baptized again with a fuller, more perfect understanding. Okay, that's biblical. We don't make it up, right? Now, I was rebaptized. Because the first baptism that I was baptized under was under a baptism that that believed that I was sinking. The Lord threw me a life raft, hoping that I would grab it. But my second baptism was based on the belief that the Lord looked and saw me sinking dead and rotting on the bottom of the ocean. And he went and got me and gave me life. Those are different. It's as different as John's baptism and the Lord's baptism. And so I wanted to become a part of this church. So I put aside all my fear and all my pride and whatever else was a hindrance to me. And I came down and said, I want to be baptized into this this church, become a part of this local body, because I have a better, more perfect understanding of why I'm here breathing. Not because I grabbed the life raft, but because he grabbed me and brought me in. Acts, the eighth chapter. What doth hinder me from being baptized? Are there obstacles for you guys? Are there obstacles that hinder you from being baptized? Because listen, when you walk down and Brother Tim takes you and he he immerses you in this water and you come up out of that water, it is a public display that you have fellowship with the Lord, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and it clears your conscience with God because you have publicly said, I am one of His. Right? So what does hinder you? Thank you for your time, and I hope that's been profitable. Please pray for Brother Tim, and and, uh, don't charge him if he goes over a little bit.